Um, welcome. Welcome to Summer Chi Alpha again. Um, as you may have heard last time, we're going through the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark together. And hopefully you guys, have you been enjoying Mark 1 throughout the week um, in your own study and in small group and things? And how's it been going? You've been learning stuff? Has God's been speaking to you? Well, let this serve as a reminder to, to just add that to your reading um, if you're not already to go through Mark 2 starting today. Um, I want to start with something just to frame us again in why we're going through this, and it's John 14, 12. John 14, 12. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So we're not just reading these things about the life of Jesus in hopes that maybe we'd be able to do it, but Jesus says we will do it. He is our example. He's the stencil that like we put over our lives and we're like, I'm going to trace the life of Jesus right onto mine and do what he do and say what he say. And uh, that was not proper English, but it works. So we're going to get into Mark 2 today. And uh, before we do that, I just kind of want to give us a clue of what we're, where we're headed. So there's this movie called Vantage Point. Remember, I, I like movies. Anybody seen Vantage Point? Wow, just a niche movie. I'm glad. Um, <coughs> because it helps me to explain it a little bit better. Basically, there's this crime that happens, and there's five or six different people who see the crime, and the whole movie is unraveling the crime from five or six people's different perspective. So it goes to this one guy, and he sees everything from his perspective, and then it rewinds and goes from a different person's perspective for all of these until you get the full picture of what actually happened. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing in the text today, is we're going to be looking at three different groups of people and their vantage point on what happened um, in Capernaum when Jesus returned from preaching from Galilee. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Jesus, um, who breathed on these original authors to write this inspired text so that we could learn about you. Lord Jesus, this word contains you, Lord God. And so I pray that we would learn a little bit about you tonight, Jesus, as we look at Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get into it. Mark 2, starting in verse 1, going through verse 12. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Do you know Jesus had like a home, um, a home base? Some people think that it was Peter's home that he was letting him borrow, and other people think that it was actually Jesus' home. He moved from Nazareth into Capernaum, and it was kind of his home base of ministry. Before this, you remember he was doing, if you read Mark chapter 1, a bunch of miracles and preaching all around the area of Galilee. And now he returns to Capernaum. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So we're going to look at three groups of people, their vantage point from this perspective of this miracle that just happened in Capernaum. The first group of people, their vantage point, their perspective is the four friends of the paralytic. And just to get us in the right frame of mind, we're going to read verses 2 through 5 again. And just imagine you're one of these four friends. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And when they had made an opening... They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So just some simple observations here. I think they're going to be up on the screen. The first one, they could not get near. The four friends could not get near. And if they could not get near, that means that they were trying to get near. There was effort. There was some effort on their part. They walked I don't know how long with this full-grown dude on a bed to get to Jesus. The second thing, they removed the roof, dug out an opening, and lowered their friend through the roof. And it's really easy for us to just blow past the text where it says they removed the roof above him and they made an opening and let down the bed. But it's a lot more complicated than that. In that time in uh, Capernaum, the houses that they lived in were actually one story. Um, And on the top, there was like this deck thing, and there was beams or joists that would rest on the walls of the house. And in between the the beams would be like straw and hay and palms and branches and things like that. On top of that would be this layer of mud, and it would be caked over by the sun, so it was super hard, and it would provide this type of insulation. And because Capernaum was possibly more likely this upscale place by the Sea of Galilee, they would also have these ceramic tiles, maybe even on top of the caked on mud. And so when Jesus, or when the paralytic's four friends come, they literally move this ceramic tile. They dig through, probably with their hands, they weren't planning on digging through a roof when they woke up that day, right? (laughs) And then they use their hands to dig through this roof and get their friend full grown, lower him down with ropes all the way so that he could meet with Jesus. They had some grit. These dudes had effort and they had grit. And their faith was visible in their action. In verse 5, it says that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't something I don't believe that he perceived in the spiritual realm, but he saw their effort and he saw their grit. He saw their perseverance and their willingness to get their friend to Jesus, to do whatever they could. And for that reason, he saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. What's the application? 
S-O-A-P, Scripture Observation Application. We must do everything we can to get people to Jesus. We must do everything we can to get people to Jesus. Amen? And a little sub-point on this. Uh, we must do everything to get people to Jesus, and we must stop asking God to do what he has asked us to do. We must stop asking God to do what he has asked us to do. And uh, I've been guilty of doing that very thing. Um, Sayla is here tonight, actually. Sayla, what up? Hey, baby. Hi, girl. <laughs> this was when Sayla was like nine months old, and uh, I had just put her down for her nap. Kenzie was doing something. Um, I don't know. It was just me and Sayla. I put her down for a nap, and I sit down in my chair, and I grab my Bible, get my journal out. I'm ready to meet with Jesus. I'm like, man, this is going to be great. And then Sayla starts crying super, super hard. Um, it wasn't just one of those, like, I want to get out of my crib cries. It was like, I'm in pain type of cry. And I remember I did the most spiritual thing I've ever done in my life. Sat back in my chair, didn't get up, and said, Jesus, would you comfort my daughter? <laughs> seems, seems all right, right? Jesus, would you just comfort my daughter? And I remember I said that, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, you're her dad. <laughs> you're her dad. <laughs> Stop asking me to do what I've asked you to do. Stop asking me to do what I have asked you to do. And I feel like so often in our lives, we can sit back and use spirituality as sort of a cover for laziness. We can use spirituality and spending time with Jesus or in deep intercession prayer, which we need, by the way. If you do not pray, all of the feet that you put after your prayers are going to do nothing. If you just try to go do everything by yourself, it's going to be fruitless. You need prayer. You need the Holy Spirit to lead you. And so our application, I believe, is we must do everything we can to get people to Jesus. We must stop asking God to do what he has asked us to do. My challenge for you is to just think of one person in your life um, that you need to put some extra effort and some extra grit to get them to Jesus. Can you guys think of one person that you're like, man, I could do a little bit more to get them to Jesus. I encourage you to write that down and, and pray over them this week and maybe intentionally reach out. Try to have a conversation with Jesus about them. The second group of people. So we're shifting our perspective. The scribes. In verse 6, we kind of see where they're coming from. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Simple observation. The scribes were critical of Jesus in their heart. They didn't even need to say it. Jesus knew what they were feeling and thinking in their heart. If you read the text again, it says that they were sitting there questioning in their hearts. They weren't verbalizing these questions, but immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were questioning as such. And I want to do a little bit, just talk a little bit about a critical mind in a critical thinking and in a critical spirit. Because I believe that as believers, we are called to be critical thinkers. We're not called to just have this um, no answers for the reason we believe type of faith. That would actually be anti-biblical. We are supposed to have a reason for why we believe. And so I believe we're supposed to be critical thinkers, but we are not supposed to have a critical spirit. 
So let me define the two for you for a moment. A critical mind questions out of love and belief for the purpose of truth. A critical mind questions out of love and belief for the purpose of truth. Like earlier in Mark 1, if you remember, when Jesus um, heals this man from an unclean spirit, he drives out a demon. All the people who see it are like, who is this man who teaches with such authority? Who is this man who has authority? They were questioning out of belief, like this could be the Messiah, trying to find truth. But the Pharisees had a critical spirit, or the scribes, and a critical spirit questions out of bitterness, doubt, skepticism, and insecurity for no purpose at all. For no purpose at all. Any of y'all know those people that just like to be critical of anything that goes around? I know them because I am them. <laughs> I am way too critical in my heart, and I wish it wasn't true, but my first response to anything that is happening in any person's life is like, did it really happen that way, though? Did it really happen that way? And I feel like being an eight on the Enneagram does not help me either. Um, if you don't know the Enneagram, it's a challenger. If you know me, you know. I'll just leave it there. Kind of a challenger sometimes. But it's not good. A critical spirit is not good. I'm not questioning because I love the person. I'm questioning because I'm skeptic. And I am putting my weakness onto them. Right? Like, I'm insecure about something. I actually used to be a huge liar, um, funny enough. And just the nature of... <laughs> okay, this is just funny. I'm going to go here for a second. Like, Puerto Ricans, this is totally a racial thing that I... It's like... It doesn't, it's not every Puerto Rican, but my family are Puerto Ricans, and they just exaggerate the heck out of everything. <laughs> Dude, I was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Yeah, I've never walked that far, ever. <laughs> I think I sweat enough to fill up a gallon jug in like two minutes. You know, they're just like hyperbole, and I use hyperbole in my speech a lot, and I really had to work on, like, not lying. And I put that on people, like, oh, you're lying. You're definitely lying. That's not accurate. And that's a critical spirit. You guys making sense between the two? We're supposed to have a critical mind. We're supposed to think critically. We're not supposed to have a critical spirit. So my question for you um, in terms of this point, what is your response to what Jesus is doing in the lives of others? When God does something for someone, when you hear about a testimony of healing, of salvation, is your first thought, I doubt it? Or is your first thought, I want to see what God did? Is, are you questioning in your hearts like the scribes, or do you have faith like the four friends? You have faith like the four friends. Um, and I wonder what Jesus would perceive in your heart about those things. Psalm 19:14. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's not just about the things we say. God sees and perceives the things that we even think in our heart. Um, I like it. I heard it from Mark first, actually. If I watch what I think, I don't have to watch what I say. If I watch what I think, I don't have to watch what I say. Both the meditation of our heart and our mouth should be pleasing. That's my challenge to you. Just consider, what is your response to what Jesus is doing in the lives of others? Do you meet it with a critical spirit? Or do you have faith and belief and ask them, tell me more about that? The third perspective 
we're shifting again. The third perspective is this, Jesus and the paralytic. I'm going to read verse 5 and then jump to 9 through 12. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Man, I just get pumped up reading that scripture. This dude who is paralyzed, who is helpless and hopeless, not only are his legs healed and he gets up and walks, but Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And we may be the four friends that sometimes I believe that we would all like to be, the four friends that show effort and grit and faith that moves Jesus to do something miraculous. We may be the scribes at another time, unfortunately, but I think that's just the nature of humanity as we're bent to sin, prone to wander, Lord, I know it, right? The old hymn. But we are surely all the paralytic man before we meet Jesus, helpless and hopeless and in need of the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the paralytic man comes to him, lowered through the roof by his friends, it's very interesting to me that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Everyone else, probably including the paralytic man, is like, bro, <laughs> I can't walk. <laughs> I came here to get healed. But Jesus, in his brilliance, right, and I believe that this is something we should emulate, he looks past the felt need, the need that everybody else sees, the need that the paralytic person thinks they need most and ministers to the deeper real need. This guy just didn't need a healing of his body. He needed a healing of his soul. He needed a healing of his soul. But when the scribes questioned Jesus about who are you to have the authority to forgive sins, Jesus actually uses the, the paralytic's physical healing to prove he has authority over both the body and the soul. He has authority over both the body and the soul. And I wonder if it would be a fun small group discussion to ask the question, which would be easier, to forgive sins or to say get up and walk? Because, oh, I just love this about Jesus. He's so brilliant. He could have had this awesome theological, like, answer, smart answer, and he probably did to, like, prove to the, to the scribes that he had authority to do it. But he says, to prove to you that I have the authority, get up, <laughs> walk. And everyone was amazed, saying, I'd never seen anything like this. Christian, you can come up, and I'm going to wrap up. I love that. He proves that he has authority to heal the soul by healing the body. What's our application? Remember, John 14, 12, anything that Jesus has done, he says we will do. Not a matter of we might do. If Jesus did all of his things just as Jesus, and it was just Jesus' things, and it wasn't Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit to be an example for us to follow, then the thing that he just did here would be unreachable for us, but his life is an example. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, he says to the man, get up and walk. 
And this is the application, I believe, is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, where the Apostle Paul says this. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but catch this, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I came to you, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. When we proclaim the gospel, it has to be a declaration and a demonstration. Jesus heals the body as proof that he has authority over the soul. I wonder if we walk up to somebody who has crutches and we say, hey man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe he can heal you. Do you think we could pray? It might happen. It might not. But what do you got to lose? <laughs> That's a super practical thing. Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe he wants to heal you. It might not happen, or it might, but what do you have to lose? And you pray for them, and imagine they take off the crutches and they start walking. And you say to the person, hey, the person who just healed you was Jesus. Not only does he have authority to heal your body, but he wants to heal your soul. Amen? Because the greatest miracle in all of eternity is when we go from death to life and we become saved. Jesus says to the disciples when they return to him to report all of the demons they cast out, all of the healings that they saw, and he says, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And he was pumped and encouraged them that they went out to heal because that's what he sent them to do. And I believe that's that what he is sending us to do. Um, so maybe look for somebody who needs a healing, both of the body and the soul, this week. That's my encouragement to you.